Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with birth offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, what a joy it is to be with your people, singing your praises, telling of your greatness, and knowing that by your spirit you are with us, and knowing that you hear and receive our worship, and knowing that you even delight in it. Lord, what a privilege it is to know that you care for the ways and the days of your people. What a privilege it is to know that you are for us and you are with us and you work in us and you work through us. Lord, today... We are all keenly aware of the weight and power that we all feel and experience living in a fallen world. There's sin and its consequences. There's illness and death. There's sin committed against us, their sin committed by us, there's hurt, there's brokenness, there's doubt, there's fear, there's worry, 
There's longing. There's how long, O Lord, how long? How long until you hear the cries for help? How long, O Lord? And Lord, we bring all of that today into your presence. We trust that you hear our cries. We trust that you're not offended by our cries. We trust by faith and through Christ that you're eager for us to know of your care and your compassion and your mercy and your love and your action for your glory and for the good of your people. And so, Lord, we have a psalm and I have some notes, but we're asking for the power of your spirit to move in this place today. We're asking that you would meet your people with your power and your grace and your work. Even just for a moment, Lord, would you lift our heads? Would you give strength to our weary hands? Would you move us toward you? Help us, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Friends, it's so great to have you all with us this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bible, turn to Psalm 66, which Suzanne just read for us. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there's one under the chair there in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please, please, please take that as a gift from us. Or if you just think you could use another one, please, please take that as a gift from us. Um, we figure if we can just give Bibles away, we're at least doing something good uh, for the kingdom of God. Before we dive into Psalm 66, I, I just want to say a huge thank you to um, L.J. James, our, our director, our pastor for youth and missions, and for everyone who participated in our missions month during May. Um, you guys led us to consider um, God's work around the world, and we are deeply, deeply thankful. Um, well done. Well done. I didn't know you were going to be sitting here on the front row. This is a little awkward. Um, usually you're way back there by the thermostat, but, but Dave Crandall took your seat. So, um, oh man, we're online right now, aren't we? Ah, okay. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. I love you too. Okay. Um, well done. Seriously, well done. Um, here at Redeemer, our, our normal mode is to work through books of the Bible, but when we're between studies, um, between books of the Bible, we want the Psalms to be uh, a resting place for us. We want the Psalms to be a place where we go. Um, and so um, for the month of June and July, we're going to spend our time in the Psalms. Today, Psalm chapter 66. Let me tell you just for a minute why we do this. Um, the Psalms are a collection of prayers to God and songs of worship to God. We believe that learning to pray, learning to worship, 
Learning to approach God is at the very center of what it means to walk by faith. And if we have 150 songs and prayers collected for us, um, let's let them teach us how to pray and let them teach us how to sing and let them teach us how to worship. Second, we come to the Psalms because the Psalms teach us that God invites all of our emotional states into his presence. This psalm is actually quite joyful. Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Bring your joy to God before God and express it. Redeemer people, did you hear that? Express it. It's good to think it, but let the thoughts out, says the biggest introvert in the room. But the Psalms also show us that the Lord's not afraid of our questions or our hurts or our doubts. Why have you forsaken me, O Lord? Why have you forsaken me? So the Psalms teach us how to approach God in the whole range of the human experience. And that's exactly the type of church culture that we've always wanted to build at Redeemer. We want to structure a congregation and a worship gathering that makes space for sing praise to the Lord. It makes space for the person sitting right beside you who is like, I don't know if I can make it through today, oh God. Because our Lord works in all of those postures, and all of those postures, if turned to the Lord, are faith. So we want to build a culture in a congregation that experiences the whole range of what faith looks like. So for the next few, next two months, next handful of weeks, we're going to be in the Psalms. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 66, what God has done, what God has done. And now here is the main point of this passage. If you're visiting here at Redeemer and you have no interest in listening to me this morning, like somebody just beat you with a club and drug you in here, I'm going to give it to you right here. I always do this. This is the point. If you don't walk away with anything else, the point of the psalm is the active, intentional, verbal worship of God is a gift and a blessing for the life of faith. The active, intentional, verbal worship of God is a gift and a blessing for the life. Of faith. And what's going to happen in Psalm 66 is the psalmist says, Worship the Lord. And then the psalmist says, Let me show you how to do it. And then at the end, we get this little glimmer that the psalmist didn't learn to worship the Lord at rabbi school. But the psalmist learned to worship the Lord in the heat of his own 
affliction. Psalmist learned to worship the Lord in the heat of his own affliction. Now, let's look at those parts of the Psalms that we don't like to talk about. Like right before verse 1, my version says, To the choir master, a song, a psalm. So this, is, this psalm is not unique, but it's unlike many. It doesn't tell us exactly who wrote it, and it doesn't tell us exactly a Bible story in which this psalm arose out of. You guys tracking with me? It doesn't tell us exactly who wrote it, and it doesn't tell us exactly the events that surrounded the psalm. And you might be going, oh, well, that's going to make it hard to understand. N- no, no. What it's going to do is it's going to make it easy for us to believe that we can connect with the Lord and through worship just as this psalmist has done. I didn't live through the Exodus. Okay, neither necessarily did the psalmist. Hey, I wasn't there on this day when this great thing happened. Okay, neither necessarily was he. But he's going to tell of what, who the Lord is, what the Lord has done, and he's going to celebrate it again and again and again as an act of faith and as an act of pursuing a life that walks with the Lord. Friends, I haven't preached in a few weeks. So I just got a bunch of stuff pent up, okay? Just, just bear with me. We'll be done by 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Megan's not in here, is she? They're supposed to set up for VBS at like 12.01 sharp. So that just caused like panic to, anyway. Somewhere along the way, Christian America got convinced that if you're not okay and you can't fake being okay, then you're not worshiping. And that's just a lie. It's a lie that Satan delights in. What the Lord wants is a people that trust him and walk with him through all things. Let's be those people. Let's be those people. Austin mentioned a family in our our church this morning that gave us permission to share their, their crisis. Let's be the people that help them find hope in God through their crisis. And then let's hope that, that they'll be that to us when that moment comes. So the psalm. If you want to take notes, the first point, we praise. Verses 1 through 4 have a command tone to them. Shout for joy to God. Do it. All the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Do it. All of you. Sing to Him Glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. These four verses have a liturgical tone to them. It's as if the psalmist is saying to the congregation, sing joyfully, boisterously, confidently, hopefully, and filled with faith to the Lord. Sing to him. Tell of his greatness. Celebrate it. Cry out to him. It doesn't say if you feel like it. It doesn't say 
if you've had a good week. It doesn't say if you feel clean enough. It doesn't say if you did all the good spiritual disciplines so you showed up this morning feeling confident in your spirituality. It just says, congregation, sing to the Lord. Congregation, tell of his greatness. Congregation, shout for joy to God. Congregation, celebrate the goodness and the greatness of God. Ultimately, worship is intentionally celebrating the greatness and the goodness of God. And the psalmist is just assuming and just commanding like it's a good gift for us all. Just read the four verses. There's no conditionality. There's no if. It's just shout for joy. Sing the glory. Give praise to him. Tell of his wondrous deeds. Join the choir of all the earth and sing praises to the Lord. This passage assumes that the act of worshiping the Lord intentionally, actively, and verbally is a gift and a blessing for the people of faith. It's a gift and a blessing for the people of faith. So, church, let's not overcomplicate it, okay? We're the people of faith. We're the assembly. We're the gathering. Intentional, active celebration of God's greatness and God's goodness is good for us. Why? Why? It recalibrates us to who God is and to what we ultimately need. So I'm asking you to believe that worship is a blessing and a gift for all the people of faith. I'm asking you to engage in worship because you believe that it's a gift for all the people of faith. Now, let's let's dig into this. What about for those who are suffering? What about for those who are suffering? The psalmist was too. Verse 14, I was in trouble. The Lord delivered me. I was in trouble. I cried to the Lord with my mouth. Verse 17, I was in trouble. Verse 19, God listened. God listened to the voice of my prayer. I was in trouble. He didn't reject my prayer. I was in trouble. He didn't remove his steadfast love for me. The psalmist is saying, turning to the Lord in suffering is an act of faith that God delights in and God works through. Worship is an intentional turning even for those of us who don't feel like it to the apathetic, to the doubting, to the hurting. Let's allow the, the 
that liturgical congregational act of turning to the Lord do just that in us. Let it attune our hearts to the praise of God. The psalmist is just saying, wherever you are, whatever you're enduring, whatever brought you here today, it is God, God's grace, God's mercy, God's power extended to his people through his son, Jesus, empowered by his spirit that will stand firm. And our praise is an act of faith that continually recalibrates us to him. So we That's the invitation. The psalmist says, be found telling of the greatness of God, his awesome deeds, his works of power. It moves, it glorifies God, and it attunes the people of faith to him. Okay. So I want to do that, Pastor. What if I don't know how? How do I get started? Second point. We remember the story. If you want to get started, the first thing we do is we remember the story. This is in verses 5 through 7. The psalmist says, come and see what God has done. His awesome, he is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. And then what the psalmist does in verses 6 and 7 is he recaptures the Exodus story. Side note for VBS, um, for the next five nights, we're going to tell kids the Exodus story because we want them to be able to recapture the faithfulness of God. Come, see. That's what it says. It's not exactly what it means, but come and see. But he turns to the Exodus story. I don't believe that this particular psalmist lived through the Exodus But the Exodus story has become a defining narrative of the people of God. Why? Because it reminds the people of God's power. It reminds the people of God's faithfulness. It reminds the people of God's love. And it reminds the people that nothing will stand in the way of this great God when he acts. He says, come and see. Let's tell of the stories that we know to be true of the Lord. I mean, here's the Exodus story. The greatest kingdom on earth was utterly destroyed by the hand of Yahweh, the one true God. The greatest kingdom on earth and its king and his offspring were destroyed because he would not obey and serve the one true God and not yield freedom to the people of God to live out their calling in what God would have them to do. God's people tell the story of the Exodus to be renewed in the power and the strength of who God is. So we remember the story. Worship begins with remembering the story of what God has done. So, what is this? What is this? This is is Q&A time. You can participate, okay? What is this? It's a Bible. It's a Bible. That's what it says. It says, Holy Bible. But you know what else it is? It's a story. It's a collection of stories that tell the story of God being faithful to himself, 
and his word and his promises and his people again and again and again throughout ages and generations and centuries. From the beginning of time to the end of time, from eternity past to eternity future, God is going to be faithful to his word and his promises. And our worship telling these stories honors what he is and it produces faith in us, his children. So the worship that tells the story is the worship that is fruitful. So we begin to worship by remembering the story. I think this point is is very important for us here at Redeemer. So if you're a guest today, I'm just going to have a little in-house church talk for a minute, but I hope this benefits you also. Like, what we have at Redeemer are a bunch of really intellectual people who love facts and spreadsheets and analysis and micro nuance. Does that seem fair? Seem fair? Yes, it's fair. Chief of sinners, right here, okay? But do you know what happens to really smart people who love micro nuance? We're the first ones to say, oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, I already know that. I already knew that story. Why don't you give me something I don't know, right? That's what we do. That's not healthy for our souls, friends. What's healthy for our souls is to hear the story again and again and again and again. Christians throughout the ages have not annually celebrated the birth of Jesus so we could get presents. We're not Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus to remember that God saw our plight and sent his son into the world again. Not he sent him once, but we remember it again and again and again and again. Throughout the ages, the church of Jesus has not remembered the resurrection because we need a spring holiday, and because the seersucker needs an excuse to come out of the closet. We celebrate the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus because it's our defining story. It's our exodus. And we tell it again and again and again because it reminds us of how great God is and how much God loves his people and how much he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and how nothing, not even death, can overcome him. And we tell it so much that it makes me like a sweaty revivalist screaming at you here on June the 5th. But worship begins with telling the story. Telling the story of who God is and what God has done. So if you're here today exploring Christianity, we're glad you're here. So glad you're here. Our story is this. We're we're sinful people. Every single one of us, bad, fallen, at fault, in need of a Savior. And we believe that God saw that in us and sent his only son into the world to fulfill his law and to offer his perfect life, his perfect divine life, on a cross as a sacrifice for the sin of humanity like us so that 
in him our sin may be taken away and we may be given life because that, that Jesus who died also rose again and he lives and he reigns forever. And so we tell the story of Christ again and again and again. And friends, we just spent a month talking about mission. The story of mission is this. Look at verse 4. Come and see what God has done. Come and see. Let's just point to it again and again and again and again. Now, that'll get every one of us started in worship. If you're completely new to the Bible and you're like, what are you talking about, Jamie? Go pick up in Exodus chapter 10 and start reading for about 12 chapters. And pick up the Gospel of Mark at 16 chapters and just start reading. Two of the most defining stories in all of history recorded in the Scripture to remind the people that God is for us. The psalmist goes further, and I'm glad that he does. The second way that we move into worship, and our third point today, is we recount the experience. We recount the experience. And experience is such a misapplied word. Let me, I was just grasping for language this week. I don't think the experience means I went to a concert and the bass got so loud that my heart palpitated a little bit and I went, oh, that must be God. That's not the experience that we're talking about. The experience that the psalmist is talking about is when the stories of this faithful God enter into my life, I'm experiencing this God at work. And when we experience this God at work, we need to remember it, document it, talk about it, recount it again and again and again. Because in that moment of trial, when we're at suffering and apathy and doubting and wondering, it's that, that, that past faithfulness recounted in the scripture and that, that past faithfulness of God that, that shapes who we are. We talk about and think about and lean into that again and again and again, praying that the Lord would give us that same faith again and again and again. Now, lest you think I'm making this up, look, look here, verses 8 through 15 the psalmist tells about an act of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. He tells about an act of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. And he's calling on them to remember it. Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. Yet you, you let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water. Doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. We went through it all, and in God's providential sovereignty, he was guiding it all to happen, and he delivered his people. So he's telling the people to remember that. Therefore, I'll come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. 
that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the stroke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Why the offerings? Why the worship? Why the vow? To remember and celebrate that God delivered his people. Then he moves a little further. Verses 16 through 20, he tells of an experience of God's faithfulness in his own life. Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. The the psalmist says, I was in a moment of crying to the Lord. I was in a moment of great need and the Lord delivered me. The Lord heard my prayer and the Lord did not remove his steadfast love for me. Friends, sometimes we want affluence. Sometimes we want just one day with no trial. Sometimes we would sell our soul to just have one day with no backtalk in the home. Sometimes we would do anything to just be a little more settled and a little more contented. None of that's the blessing. The blessing is this. That through all that adversity, because of Jesus, the Lord has not rejected my prayer and the Lord has not removed his steadfast love from me. Friends, if that's true today, God is faithful to you. If that's true today, God is with you. If that's true today, you're not alone. If that's true today, God is to be praised. If that's true today, tell of your experience of his faithfulness again and again and again. So I want to reframe something. The path of discipleship is a path of telling of God's faithfulness intentionally and verbally and out loud as revealed in the scripture, as we've experienced, as you've experienced, doing so is a discipling act. And I believe that evangelism and mission and outreach is very simply gathering with people who don't know this God and saying, come and see what God has done and telling the stories and celebrating the stories, and believing the stories. So friends, I'm just wanting us to be renewed in the purpose of why the people of God worship corporately and privately. Active, intentional, verbal worship is a gift and a blessing. Let's lean into it for the glory of God. He's glorified when we do it. And for our moving forward in faith and our joy in him.